Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. Thank you to our listeners for helping us reach 100-plus episodes. In this episode, Mary Donahue, assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored, unpacks stories from the life of international vaudeville superstar Sophie Tucker. Get ready for a big song and dance number coming up right now on Grading the Nutmeg. for grading the nutmeg. That was Hartford's own Sophie Tucker singing One of These Days by African-American composer Sheldon Brooks. Sheldon Brooks and Some of These Days was brought to Sophie Tucker's attention in 1910 by her friend and maid Molly Elkins, who insisted that she meet Brooks and hear the song. Tucker instantly recognized its hit potential, performed and recorded many versions throughout the years, and eventually it became her signature song, including landing movie appearances to perform it. Tucker first recorded the song, along with others, on round wax cylinders in 1910 and 11, a format in use before flat shellac records. In 1926, on a 78 RPM record and backed by Ted Lewis and his band, Tucker recorded her classic million-selling 1926 version, which stayed on the number one position on the charts for five weeks, beginning November 23, 1926, and reaffirmed her lasting association with the song. I have been fascinated by the incomparable Sophie Tucker for years. I authored a photo essay on her for Connecticut Explored in 2006, when I discovered a new full-length biography, Red Hot Mama, The Life of Sophie Tucker, by Lauren Rebecca Skaroff, published by the University of Texas Press in 2018, I finished it off in two days. Now the Jewish Historical Society of Greater Hartford is planning a new online exhibition on Ms. Tucker. Great timing for a Grading the Nutmeg episode on one of the most successful entertainers of the 20th century. What are some of the things that I really find so interesting about Sophie? Many of the threads that run through her life resonate with women now. Body positivity, female agency, an artist's control of their own work and career, and a rags-to-riches immigrant success story are all found in her life story. In addition, she developed a career-long self-marketing campaign that puts many social media stars to shame. Always transitioning through her career to the next big thing, she became a handsomely paid, sometimes the highest paid, international star on the vaudeville stage. She promoted sheet music, wax cylinder recordings, and records with her face and name. She performed in cabarets, nightclubs, movies, Broadway shows, as well as radio and television. Let's unpack some of the stories behind Sophie Tucker, the last of the Red Hot Mamas. As befitting a vaudeville superstar, Sophie Tucker, born in 1884, was born on the road to Jewish parents fleeing persecution. Sophie Kalash Abuza made her entrance somewhere in Eastern Europe. 
Her family came to America when Sophie was just an infant, moving from New York City to Boston and in 1896 to Hartford, Connecticut, where the family opened a kosher restaurant at 189 Front Street in the city's immigrant riverfront neighborhood. That neighborhood is now where Constitution Plaza is. The restaurant's menu offered a three-course dinner for a quarter. Sophie recalled of the neighborhood, It was an exciting street for a kid. All kinds of people coming and going at all hours. We did a good business. Mama's cooking got to be famous among drummers, those are salesmen, and show people who made Hartford. Possessed of a vibrant personality and booming voice that would become her professional trademarks, young Sophie earned extra tips by singing to the customers. Sophie says, I would stand up in the narrow space by the door and sing with all the drama I could put into it. By the end of the last chorus, between me and the onions, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. She eloped at 17 years old to Holyoke in 1903 with local beer cart driver Lewis Tuck. Upon her return, her parents arranged for a proper Jewish Orthodox wedding for the couple. They had a son, Bert, born in 1906, shortly before she asked her husband, who she asserted wasn't working hard enough, for a separation. Soon afterward, Willie Howard of the Howard Brothers, who had admired her singing, gave her a letter of introduction to well-known composer Harold von Tilzer. She left Hartford for New York City and changed her name to Tucker. Sophie related, quote, that her mother, an Orthodox Jewish woman, believed that marriage, having babies, and helping her husband get ahead were career enough for any woman. I couldn't make her understand that that wasn't a career that I was after. It was just that I wanted a life that didn't mean spending most of it at the cook stove and the kitchen sink. Leaving her very young son in Hartford with her sister, leaving her husband and an Orthodox Jewish marriage behind, and beginning her career in New York City singing in restaurants all served to estrange her from her Hartford family. In 1907, Tucker got her first break in vaudeville singing at Chris Brown's Amateur Night. After her initial audition, she overheard Brown muttering to a colleague, This one's so big and ugly, the crowd out front will razz her. Better get some cork and black her up. Despite her protests, producers insisted that she could only be successful in blackface. Quickly booked into Joe Wood's New England circuit, she became known as a world-renowned coon singer, a role she couldn't bear to let her family know she had taken. The phrase coon shouter was a derogatory phrase. It meant white people dressed in blackface who sang in a stereotypical manner. It's absolutely impossible now to understand the appeal of white performers donning blackface and singing in a southern dialect, but this genre was extremely popular. When her luggage, which contained her blackface makeup and wig, failed to turn up in time for a matinee, she went on stage as herself. A success, she hit the big time in New York, becoming a headliner in vaudeville and burlesque shows. She recorded her trademark song, Some of These Days, in 1911, and began touring with her own band. Tucker shared billing with some of the 20th century's most famous stars, including Will Rogers, Jack Benny, and Judy Garland, and she was invited to perform in London before the royal family. Her insecurity about her looks continued for many years. It really reminds me of comments that were made by managers to performers like Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga. 
We'll be back with more after this short message from our friends at the Jewish Historical Society. The Jewish Historical Society of Greater Hartford is looking forward to celebrating its 50th anniversary. Since 1971, we have been collecting, preserving, and sharing the history of the region's Jewish community by telling the stories of Jewish life, culture, and contributions to this part of Connecticut. We reach out to different audiences through public programs, exhibitions, publications, and community outreach. A nonprofit member organization, we are a beneficiary agency of the Jewish Federation of Greater Hartford. Our archives include photographs, albums, and memorabilia highlighting Sophie Tucker's career and Hartford connections. An online exhibit titled Sophie Tucker, The Pride of Hartford, with wonderful photographs, recordings of her songs, sheet music, and newspaper articles about her life will be available soon on our website, jhsgh.org. Another recent online exhibition, Mapping Greater Hartford Synagogues, is available on our website. It explores the history of synagogues throughout the region and shows changes in the Jewish community over time. We are working on digitizing our extensive collection of oral histories, which document different elements of Jewish life in our region. Sign up on our website, jhsgh.org, to receive our electronic newsletter and learn more about our programs and offerings. Tucker made up her mind from that point on to only use the best designers' costumes, wigs, and furs in her act. She always said the women would come to see what she was wearing, and the men would come to see her because of her humor. So what's a red-hot mama? Independent and proud of it, Tucker captivated audiences with her humorous body songs. A large woman, not conventionally beautiful, Tucker made her presence known with songs such as You've got to see your mama every night, and you can't deep freeze a red-hot mama, as well as I ain't taking orders from no one, as noted in the book From Hester Street to Hollywood. Playing on her body image as a lot of woman, Tucker chose risque songs that demonstrated that women were very much interested in love and sex. She joined other professional performers of her era, such as Mae West and Bessie Smith, in portraying assertive women who knew what they wanted. Equally adept at performing for stage, radio, records, film, and television, she became known as the last of the Red Hot Mamas. Sophie was arrested in 1910 in Portland, Oregon for indecent dancing to the song Angleworm Wiggle. Here's what she says in her autobiography about the event. Playing a return engagement in Portland, Oregon, on that trip I ran into trouble. I had a song called The Angleworm Wiggle. The song itself had nothing to it. It was a gospel hymn compared to some of the numbers you hear today. 
but I got a jeweler to make me four rings of bright green stones, which I could wear on my second and fourth fingers of both hands, to glitter as I used my hands snakily up and down my body as I sang, producing, as I hoped, a naughty effect to put the song across. I had no way of knowing that a Mrs. Baldwin, who then headed Portland's Department of Safety for Women, was having a political row with the chief of police, or that that lady would seize on me and my angleworm wiggle to make trouble for the chief. After the first matinee, Mrs. Baldwin swore out a warrant for my arrest on the grounds that my act was immoral and indecent. I believe I was represented as a muscle dancer from the Barbary Coast. Of course, the papers ate it up. The chief of police came to see the show and declared that my act was all right. He gave it as his opinion that the angleworm wiggle was less indecent than some of the other acts on the bill, which apparently hadn't even brought a single blush to Mrs. Baldwin's cheeks. This made the lady furious. She took the matter to the mayor. And here's what Mrs. Baldwin stated to the Oregon Daily Journal on Saturday, November 5, 1910. My only purpose in prosecuting this woman is to prevent her from again appearing on stage and singing the vulgar song she's been using. I will not be satisfied to have this woman continue to appear Saturday and Sunday and then come to court on Monday after the damage is done. Here's Sophie again. She also swore out another warrant against me on the grounds that I had ridiculed her from the stage by ad-libbing as I wiggled my fingers up and down my torso. Very immoral. I had opened on Monday. On Friday, after the press had been full of the case all week, I was taken off the stage. My friends in Portland, Mr. and Mrs. Piercy Egbert, got me a lawyer. I put up $50 in bail and offered to sing any song the mayor, the chief of police, and Mrs. Baldwin should select to prove that my act was neither indecent nor immoral. When this offer was refused, my friends took me to the district attorney. I made the demand of him that he would give me a jury trial at which I would sing the angleworm wiggle for the jury. The DA read the lyrics, then threw out the whole case. He bawled out the mayor and Mrs. Baldwin and the whole kit and caboodle. I was left sitting on top of the world with pages and pages of publicity and a line at the box office three blocks long. The theater held me over for two more weeks, and I had to promise to play a return engagement before I headed back east. So says Sophie. In 1925, Jack Yellen penned perhaps her most famous song, sung in Yiddish and English, titled My Yiddish Mama. The song was mostly played in large American cities where there was a sizable Jewish audience. Tucker explained, Even though I loved the song, and it was a sensational hit every time I sang it, I was always careful to use it only when I knew the majority of the house would understand Yiddish. However, you don't have to be a Jew to be moved by my Yiddish mama. Mother in any language means the same thing. Of things I should be thankful for, I've had a goodish share. And as I sit in the comfort of a cozy chair, my fancy takes me to a humble east side tenement. Three flights in the rear to where my childhood days were spent. It wasn't much like paradise, but amid the dirt and all, there sat the sweetest angel 
Several years after Hitler came to power, recordings of this song were destroyed and the sale of them banned by the Reich. Sophie was more than a pretty face. With a career that spanned 60 years, Sophie Tucker also became known as the First Lady of Showbiz, but she never forgot Hartford, returning regularly to visit her family. With her success, her earlier scandal was forgotten, and the Hartford community embraced her. In 1913, she had headlined at Hartford's Poli Theater, the big theater that sat several thousand people in downtown Hartford. The Hartford Current described her royal welcome. It said, Immense audiences gathered to greet her on her first appearance in her native city. Her many old friends took advantage of every opportunity to make her feel that they were glad to see and hear her in the profession in which she has made a splendid name for herself. Unquote. In 1945, she established the Sophie Tucker Foundation and over her lifetime gave $4 million to charities ranging from hospitals, the Negro Actors Guild, the Motion Picture Relief Fund, synagogues, and youth centers in the United States and Israel. Tucker was a generous philanthropist, most notably locally to the Hebrew Old Folks Home in Hartford, now the Hebrew Home and Hospital in West Hartford, which her mother helped found, and to Emanuel Synagogue. Sophie Tucker died in New York in 1966 at age 82, having never retired. Over 3,000 mourners attended her funeral at Emanuel Synagogue Cemetery in Wethersfield, Connecticut. Her obituary in the Hartford Current noted, Miss Tucker was more than a red-hot mama. She had a mama's love for people, and her memorial to her hardworking parents was always to remember other people in need. As the Jewish Women's Archive states, Tucker's legacy exists in her generous contributions to charity, her influence on images of Jewish culture and women's sexuality, and her role as an entertainer who thoughtfully interpreted the chaotic and beautiful world around her. She left almost 400 scrapbooks depicting her entire career to the New York Public Library. She was inducted into the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame in 1999. For more information and photos, go to the websites of the Jewish Historical Society of Greater Hartford and Connecticut Explored Magazine. This is Mary Donahue for Grading the Nutmeg. Thanks for listening. Be sure to dig into our back catalog for more inspiring, interesting, or maybe just fun stories about the people and places that have made history in our state. 
This episode was produced by Mary Donahue, assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored and engineered by Patrick O'Sullivan. Subscribe to Connecticut Explored, buy back issues and collections, including a make-your-own collection at a special price at ctexplored.org. Please join us again for the next episode of Grading the Nutmeg.